twelve chapter five of round the block by john belbooten this librivox recording is in the public domain a returned californian at last matthew maltboy was engaged he had since twenty been dallying on the edge of a betrothal now he had taken the momentous step into that anomalous region which lies between celibacy and married life where a man is not exactly a bachelor nor yet by any means a husband it is the land in which the dim enchantments of romance begin to assume the plain outlines of reality it is the land in which the pledge of undying affection breathed at some rapturous moment into a delicate inclining ear becomes invested with awful meaning and has a value in the legal market like a bond and mortgage it is the land where the excitement of pursuit is over and the game is securely cornered but not yet in hand it is the spot where the ardent huntsman of love pauses to look back and ceases to bend his longing gaze into the distance beyond how it came to pass that the unreliable matthew maltboy had become the affianced one of the pleasant widow frump it is not the purpose of this history to record let it suffice to say that the mutual aversion which they felt some months before at mr Waddell's house on new year's day was the starting point of their course of true love such an aversion subsequently smoothed away is often the most promising beginning of a courtship mrs frump had frequently met matthew on the street and been gratified with his deferential bow his bulk to which as a rotund lady she had taken an antipathy seemed to dwindle down as it was looked at matthew whose ideal was a delicate woman with observable shoulder-blades had also by repeated sights of mrs frump become reconciled to her ample proportions meanwhile they had heard much incidentally of each other through marcus wilkeson matthew had come to esteem mrs frump for her affectionate devotion to old van quintem and mrs frump had secretly admired the powerful though silent legal ability displayed by mr maltboy in the inquisition before coroner bullfast one night matthew accompanied marcus to his old friend's house and on the second night following this couple were engaged a happy event which was brought about no less by the widow's experience and conviction that there was no time to lose than by matthew's impulsive ardor he had been engaged ten days and so entirely had he talked out the time to the widow that it seemed six months why is it thought matthew stretching himself in his chair and looking critically at the widow who was knitting crochet work why is it that i no longer adore her she is just as pretty just as amiable just as affectionate as ever now why don't i care a button for her at this moment matthew was not a transcendental philosopher and the true answers to these questions did not come to him old van quintem pale and beautiful in his declining years sat by the window that opened on the green leaves of the back yard calmly smoking his pipe and thinking with a holy sadness of his dead wife and his worse-than-dead son the old gentleman 
and the two quiet affianced ones who sat near him made up a well-dressed and handsome group the pictorial effect of which was suddenly marred by the apparition of a stranger in the doorway he was tall muscular and what little could be seen of his face through a heavy growth of whiskers was mild and prepossessing in spite of two large scars just visible below the broad brim of a rough hat his dress was faded and dirty the stranger stood in the doorway and surveyed the occupants of the room old van quintem looked at the intruder a moment and then said as if remembering something are you the man sent by crumley to mend my piazza railing there was the least hesitation in the man's voice as he answered yes sir i'm here to do that job his voice was a deep growl as of a grizzly bear half tamed where are your tools asked old van quintem the stranger communed with himself and then replied in the most natural manner i suppose i only want a saw a hammer and a few nails you have em haven't yer you're a funny sort of carpenter to travel without your tools do you know now that you look more like a california miner than a carpenter that's not very markable returned the stranger in profound guttural accents considerin as how i come from california this week you have brought home tons of gold i dare say said old van quintem playfully a little growled the stranger the diggins was poor in calaveras county when i fust went there but latterly they improved at the mention of calaveras county the widow suddenly fixed her eyes upon the stranger and then dropped them on her crochet work matthew maltboy here conceived a happy thought namely to ask this stranger if he ever knew amos frump the deceased husband of mrs frump who was killed in that very county in an affray growing out of a disputed claim five years before mrs frump after her engagement to matthew had furnished him with slips from three california papers giving full particulars of the sanguinary affair before he was engaged he had never felt the slightest curiosity to know the history of his predecessor but since then he had entertained a strong secret desire to learn more of him and especially of the reasons which induced him to abandon a young and lovely wife and make a californian exile of himself upon this subject the widow had never volunteered any satisfactory information and he had been politely reluctant to ask her about it old van quintem who was too sleepy at that time to talk much procured the necessary tools from a cupboard in the kitchen and showed the stranger what work was to be done the old gentleman then returned to his easy-chair by the window threw a handkerchief over his head and settled himself for a nap before the carpenter had struck the first blow matthew maltboy rose remarked to the widow that he wanted to stretch himself a little and walked out upon the piazza the carpenter stood near the door with the saw in one hand and the hammer in the other very much in the attitude of listening at matthew's approach he commenced feeling the teeth of the saw as if to test their sharpness i would like to speak a word with you sir said matthew in a low voice motioning the carpenter to accompany him to a corner of the piazza 
out of the widow's possible hearing. Having attained that safe position, Matthew opened the great subject. You remarked that you had dug gold in Calaveras County, said he. Did you ever happen to know a man by the name of Frump, Amos Frump, who was a miner there? Frump, replied the carpenter. He was an intimate friend of mine. Now that's lucky, said Matthew, for I want to find out something about the man. Then you've come to the right shop, answered the carpenter, for his own brother, if he ever had one, couldn't tell you more about him than I. I am indeed fortunate. In the first place, then, this man Frump is really dead? The carpenter pulled his rough hat farther over his forehead and replied, as dead as two big splits in the skull could make him. But excuse me, sir, he was my bosom friend, and I can't bear to talk of his death. He is dead, then, and no mistake, said Matthew, soliloquizing. Yet I am not exactly glad to know it. The carpenter's face expressed surprise at this remark. I beg your pardon, said Matthew. Of course I am not glad to hear of your friend's death. But to tell the truth, he continued, inventing an excuse. I had always heard that this frump was a wild fellow, that he didn't treat his wife decently, and at last ran away from her. You see, I am acquainted with the family. In fact, I know Mrs. Frump quite well. And did she tell you all this about her dead husband? asked the carpenter. Oh, no, returned Matthew, who began to fear that he had gone too far. She never says anything about his personal character. I only spoke from common report. Then common report is a common liar, for I know there never was a steadier chap than this same Amos Frump, and his wife can't say that he ever struck her or said a cross word to her. Amos told me all about himself, and I'd believe him through thick and thin. The carpenter spoke in his dismal chest voice, without the least indication of excitement. Then why did he leave his wife, and why did she never hear of him until the time of his death? You will confess that that was odd. I give you the reasons, answered the carpenter, as Amos give em to me. It seems that he was a poor, uneducated feller. She had a few thousand dollars from her grandfather's property, and was sent by her parents to the best of schools. Though he and she were so much unlike, they got up a kind of fondness for each other from the time when Amos saved her from being run over by a horse. They used to meet each other secretly, because, you see, her folks didn't like Amos. They thought that a girl with three or four thousand dollars in her own name ought to set her eyes rather above a feller like him. Well, arter no end of trouble, they was married. Her folks pretended to treat Amos all right, but was allers talkin' agin him. And finally they pisoned her mind with the idee that he had married her only for her money, and that all the while he loved another gal. She began to treat him very cold-like, and one day, when she was in a little bit of temper. "'Has Mrs. Frump any temper?' asked Matthew anxiously. "'I never saw it.' but you ain't her husband, replied the carpenter. Amos told me that she did show a leetle temper now and then. However, he allers said she was a pooty good gal in the main. Well, one day, 
when her dander was up about something, she told him that she believed he married her for her money, and she'd die before he should have a cent. Amos was a proud feller, if he was poor, and when he heard this, he left the house right off, walked to New York, and shipped as a sailor to San Francisco. I met him when he fust come to the mines, and as he was a spry, tough chap, I let him work a claim with me on shares. We ate and slept together, and many a time, in the dark night, has he spoke to me about his wife, and how much he thought of her. But he said he never should go back till he had money enough to buy out her and her whole family. We was very unlucky, and Amos got downhearted and took to drink. By and by he moved off to another claim, and worked on his own hook. He did better there, but all the gold he dug out he used to spend in gambling and rum, and at last a drunken quarrel put an end to Amos Frump. Poor fellow, said Matthew, and do you think the widow ever grieved for him? No, I guess not, for Amos allers said that she was not a very lovin', affectionate woman, though if he had been as rich as her, or if her family had let her alone, she would have made him a tolerable wife. Not loving, not affectionate, thought Matthew, and I am about to marry her. A cold shudder crept over him. Hiding his emotions with an effort, he again interrogated the affable carpenter. And do you really think that Mr. Frump would have returned and lived again with his wife if he had become rich? To be sure he would. He couldn't marry anybody else, you know, without committin' bigamy. He allers said he didn't care much whether his wife loved him, so long as she treated him civilly. Mr. Frump had practical views of married life, suggested Matthew. Amos was sensible in some things, said the carpenter, but he was a queer feller, too. He allers had a notion of comin' home kind of disguised, so that his wife shouldn't know him. I used to tell him that a few more years in California would make him so thin, yaller, and grisly that he wouldn't need no disguise. End of Book 12, Chapter 5